that you can't just wake up one morning and say, I don't want to do this anymore and think that people are going to be knocking on your doors. Um, it takes time and you've got to, that's why I named it that way. You've got to position yourself to sell. So welcome to the You Are Lawyer podcast, Victoria Collier. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks. Good. So we were talking offline about being in the East Coast in the States. I'm in Ohio. You're in Atlanta. Uh, so won't you tell the audience a little bit about your business and what you do? Sure. And I'm not originally from Atlanta. I'm originally from Texas, the central um, states. But uh our business is quid pro quo, and what we do primarily is we help lawyers sell their law firms, and we also help other lawyers buy law firms. And aside from that, we also do coaching. We coach law firms in how to better build their law firms so that they do have value and they can be sellable sometime in the future. And then we okay. do valuations as well. So what does that mean to do a valuation of a law firm? Is it like the accounting side? Like actually, what are you worth if you wanted to sell? That's exactly what it's like is what are you worth? What is your asset worth? Um, so like we're familiar with houses getting appraisals before a bank is willing to loan money to buy one. Mm -hmm. And so same thing with the law firm is you don't know what to list it for sale um, unless you know what it's worth. And so there's a whole process and formula and calculations on how to come up with that value. Okay. So when I hear quid pro quo, I think about the usual stuff, which is what like and not an eye for an eye, but like you do something and then I do something or what is? For me, I, I named the business this because for me, it means an equal exchange of value. Um, you agree that what I have to offer is um, aligned with what I agree you want to pay. Um, so I have always been as a lawyer, um, even through the limited litiga litigation that I've done, I've always wanted what was best for all parties to the extent possible. Um, and I always want everyone to win to the extent possible. And so to me, that's what quid pro quo represents is an equal exchange of value. Okay. So <laughs> I have so many things running through my head. First one is with a name like quid pro quo, is the search engine optimization amazing? <laughs> Are people <laughs> finding you all the time? We do have a lot of direct searches as well as organic. But okay. the other thing, too, is there's just not that many businesses that are exclusively focused on helping lawyers buy and sell law firms. So that helps the SEO as well. Okay. <laughs> All right. Awesome. And then so let's go back a little bit further. You said you had limited experience with litigation. What did you do before you started your own firm? Sure. So I was a lawyer. I still am a lawyer, but I had my own law firm for 18 years um, that I started right out of law school doing estate planning and elder law, which included guardianship work and Medicaid work, which that's where my limited litigation came in as I did litigated guardianship and Medicaid uh, hearings. And uh, so I did that for 18 years and then I sold my law firm in 2020. Okay. So 18 years, 2020, and now it's 2024 when this episode is coming out. 
what made you decide to sell your firm? Like, what was that final decision that was like, yes, it's time. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, the it had been, you know, ruminating in my head, I guess, um, at different points throughout the 18 years. Um, and I felt like maybe I was getting burned out. And there is a difference between being burned out and actually wanting to exit your firm. And I felt like I was burned out, but... I went to give a presentation on Veterans Day to veterans and widows of veterans at an assisted living facility. And I myself am a veteran. And so this is generally my group of people. They're elderly who I love and I did elder law. They're veterans or family members of veterans and I'm a veteran. So before the event began, I'm standing at the front of the room and I'm about to get started. And this woman on the front row, she just starts heckling me like she was not nice. And in my head, I thought, well, I thought a lot of things. I won't say I'm here necessarily other than they weren't kind in response. <laughs> and then I thought to myself after that, I thought, you know what, Victoria, it's time to get out because if this is how you feel and you're in a room full of your people, then you are not doing them a service. You would do a better service by letting someone else come in and, and do this. Okay. And I know that had to be kind of hard, right? Even though you were ruminating and then finally you're like, I'm about to snap. Yeah. I need to step away. <laughs> it is hard because you've spent your entire you know, first of all, you've gone to law school for three years. You've spent, and, you know, undergrad before that, you spent all this money. You've built, especially when you have, I think, when you have built your own practice for 18 years or more or less, but you've put everything into it. And for you to then decide, oh, I'm walking away from this, not just yourself has to come to that, but then you've got to tell your spouse and your children and your friends and family and potential, your employees. Mm -hmm. um, it has a rippling effect that is emotional on every level um, because one of those emotions is, did I fail? I mean, I'm only 48 years old when I made that decision, 50 yeah. when I actually sold the law firm. Um, you know, it's like, did I fail? Not just me, but others. Um, you know, it, are people not going to take me serious if, if I can't continue with something? Um, so there's a whole lot of emotions that goes on, whether you're selling early or even at natural retirement age. Yeah. Okay. So what was it about selling your law firm in 2020 that made you say, okay, I want to teach others how to do this? Right. Was it a terrible experience? And you're like, let me make sure nobody else goes through this. Or was it rewarding? And you were like, let me help other people feel the way that I'm feeling now that I've sold. Yeah. Well, it was actually an outstanding experience. Um, but I had been coaching lawyers already since 2008. Okay. Uh, so for, you know, almost two decades. And so when I was in my transition, I actually had a lawyer that contacted me to buy her firm. And I said to her, you know, I would love to, except that I'm under a non-compete because I am, you know, I'm in the process of selling my own firm. I said, but I do help people sell their firms. And she already had a broker. Uh, but within 15 minutes of us talking, she's like, look, you've asked me more questions than he's ever asked me in the past year. So I'm going to, you know, Red Rover, Red Rover onto your team. And uh, <laughs> so I did. 
uh, we were able to go under contract with her firm within three months and we were able to sell and she got an all cash upfront deal, which is just unheard of. So I had early success with both my firm and hers. And then many of the other people I had been coaching for years saw that I had done that. And they're like, hey, help me, help me, help me. So that's where the business began. Okay. I love that. To everyone listening, like, where does that happen? That is called market validation. (laughs) (laughs) You have an idea or people are already asking you to do something. So clearly there's a demand for it. And you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, I can do this. So I love that. Um, Okay. And so just because I I love to know the backstory. Let's go back one more step. When you decided to open your own firm right out of law school, how difficult was that decision? So I can remember very clearly in that I was working at a law firm and there was a a non-attorney staff member that I was close with that I was working with. And she was encouraging it, but I was a little hesitant, although I had been a paralegal in law firms before I went to law school. I'd been a paralegal in the military before I got out and became a paralegal at private law firms. Um, And I'm from Texas and I'm an Aries, so I'm naturally confident anyway. Um, But what's interesting is, so what I did was I went and I interviewed multiple lawyers. I interviewed professors. I interviewed judges. And I kept interviewing until I didn't realize I was doing this on purpose. I didn't realize I was doing this consciously. But what happened was I finally met with this lawyer who had his own business. And what he said to me was, I wish I had done it three years sooner, which is basically when he went out on his own. Um, And that really stuck with me. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to be that person saying, I wish I had done this three years earlier because you'll hear all kinds of guidance like, oh, well, you should go and work for someone else because you got to cut your teeth and you don't know anything. And therefore you need to have a great mentor. Well, none of us knew anything in the beginning. You know, I mean, we all learned something somewhere Um, and and we all suck in the beginning. Let's just face it. We just do. Um, But I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of, you know, research on how to do my job. And I had been working for someone for a year as a law clerk, um, doing exactly what I opened my practice into. And the other thing, Kyla, is that I actually went to the guy I was working for as a law clerk for my third year of law school. And I presented him with a business plan, a three-year business plan on how I could make three times my salary because that's what I understood the industry standard was and where and how I could bring in the business. And he laughed at me. And, you know, that combined with the other attorney uh, telling me he wished he'd gone out on his own three years earlier. It was a no brainer for me. Okay, I love that. So you were basically learning everything you needed to do and did not need to do to learn to run a law firm before you even started. And so then you graduate and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. Well, not only that, but I was also out there giving presentations on Mm -hmm. uh, educational events, certainly not giving any advice whatsoever, but I was already before I passed the bar. So after I graduated law school, but before I passed the bar, there's a six month period before you get your license. So I was out giving presentations and marketing my future business um, all along. I love that. So many times I talk to entrepreneurs and I'm like, did you always want to own a business? No, I stumbled into it. No, I don't know where it came from. And I love it. You were like, no, I was preparing. I was planning. I was confident in myself and I went and did it. Mm -hmm. And I had good mentors. I had great mentors. 
I love that. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So what do clients find you when they're ready to sell a law firm or are you still out giving presentations about, hey, I'm so happy I teach others how to sell law firms? Is that how you find clients? For the most part, I okay. get most of my clients off of Facebook in lawyer-specific Facebook groups. Yeah. That's where my name is spread among so many others. I'd like to say it's grassroots, but it's like grassroots on fire um, because it just kind of spreads when somebody knows you and likes you and trust your work, um, they're going to speak about you. So I'd say Facebook's number one, but we also do, speaking of Facebook, have a private Facebook group just for lawyers as well, my own group. Um, plus I have my own podcast and then I do presentations on podcasts like yours. Yeah. Uh, those are the primary ways. Um, podcasting is definitely a way to spread the word, right? Especially with lawyers. Lawyers love to talk about themselves. They love to hear from other lawyers. Um, Facebook, I so I actually launch podcasts for business owners. I'm kind of iffy on Facebook. Like I can't find, I don't know. I, I guess, let me say this. I'm finding more success on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess if you were trying to sell a law firm, the audience is probably a little bit different than, so yeah. I think LinkedIn will be a great tool for us. I just haven't yet, um, used it to its fullest extent. And so in 2024, we definitely plan to do that. Um, but we're brand new. I mean, we're fairly brand new. I mean, we started in February of 2021. And so I'm a big believer in don't do everything all at once, really master something and then add to that. So my mastery was Facebook because that's where people were already coming to me and where I'm comfortable being because I'm Come on, let's face it. I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm on Facebook. Um, and so um, so that's where we are. And so in 2024, we will then be adding to that. We'll be adding the LinkedIn and another thing. Okay, very cool. Um, and I, that's great advice, right? Because you see so many people who want to just jump onto the newest hot thing. And it's like, you kind of got to learn it. And you really got to stay in your lane because not everyone is going to sign up to work with your business because they see you dancing on TikTok. It's not going to appeal to some people. It's just not, right? Or you're going to be so uncomfortable, you're going to hate social media. And that's not, that shouldn't be it either. Right. So, okay. So you know, the thing is, we can do everything. That doesn't mean we should. Doesn't mean we should. Does not mean we should. Um, and I would say, like, especially from hearing your story, it sounds like you would know how to set up a plan, be meticulous with which stage we're going to do, and even maybe outsource some of that, right? Because you don't have to do it all either, even for it to be coming from your brand and your business. Right. Absolutely. One of the first things I did when I hired, when I opened this business, Quid Pro Quo, was I hired my marketing person um, because I know that there's certain things that make a business successful. And what I wanted to do was take the positives of what I learned from my law firm and implement them in this business, leave out the negatives, all the, all the, you know, university one Oh thousand of how you've spent all your money on the trials and tribulations, leave those behind and really accelerate this business. Um, and so one of the first things I did was hired a full-time marketing person. Love that. Absolutely. Love that. I have two virtual assistants that are part-time and I am learning the benefit and the value that a full-time employee brings versus part-time. And so I'm starting to make that transition now. Um, 
it's kind of hard, <laughs> but <laughs> well, it's important. Well, and going from like my law firm, we were 100% in person and now I have a 100% virtual business. That to me was hard. I always felt like I was a great leader and mentor and manager. Um, and then I started this business, which is 100% virtual. And it takes a different skill set to be a leader, a mentor, and a manager of virtual staff. And yes. so the first year, I was bad at it. Uh, but I think we're I think we're doing better now. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, that's me too. Um, especially because like, you don't just take everything you did in person and make it virtual. They, the two do not cross over that simply, right? right? I really like small talk. I really like talking to people in person. That can fall really flat when you're virtual. And you're, it's, a, it's probably the same set of skills used in a different way, but it's not completely, you know, just take everything you did and move it over. Right. It's definitely a learning curve. Yeah. Okay. So, Victoria, I want to talk about your podcast. I'm a huge podcast fan. I love podcasts. I love storytelling and getting your background out there and just telling people everything about you. Why did you start your podcast, which is called Smart Lawyers Position to Transition? Why did you start that in 2022? Well, I am and always have been a big believer in education. And I think that before people can really move forward with what they want and certainly what they need, they need to educate themselves and you can get all kinds of education online. I mean, it's overwhelming with all the information that's out there. Um, but I wanted a resource where people could get consistent, solid information about the buying and selling of law firms. First and foremost, this is a brand new industry, essentially, meaning that law firms prior to 1991, there wasn't even anything in the ethics codes about selling a law firm. Um, essentially, you just closed your doors or you handed your files over to a friend and you were just grateful that someone was going to be able to take care of your clients, right? Yeah. But as business has evolved, as lawyers has, have evolved, this is, in fact, a viable option for people is to sell their law firm. And so how would people know that unless they can get education about that? And so it was certainly my mission to educate people through both the Facebook group as well as my podcast, as well as being on other people's podcasts. But in my law firm, I also had a podcast. Um, and so I was familiar with doing podcasts. And the second reason, other than to educate people, is when you have a business, you need to create content, period, the end. And so the podcast creates content that you can then chop up a billion different ways and continue to use it. And I'm all for repurposing content from a marketing standpoint and a brand standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really important about what you said is that you can take the same content and like repurpose it. Right. You need to be where the audience is. If the audience is going to, you know, some people are going to Google and find you. Some people are going to show up at your law firm. Some people are going to hear about you in a Facebook group. But a podcast is a completely different audience. And to that point, even being a guest on a show is a completely different audience than having your own show. Um, so I love that because a lot of lawyers are really terrible with marketing and exposure. <laughs> they're just not good business people. You know, they're good lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. No, that's true. And and again, Speaking of history and tradition, we weren't allowed to market back in the day. 
it was just considered, you know, in poor taste, if not mm -hmm. downright unethical. And when I was a paralegal in South Georgia, I worked for a law firm. And I mean, if I even said the word marketing, I was like threatened with being fired. Um, and so, you know, there's a whole lot of that that's still embedded with lawyers. It's not that they couldn't be good at it, but they've yeah. been shut down for decades upon decades, if not centuries. Yeah. Um, and again, it's only been since probably the 90s since that's been opening up. Mm -hmm. It's funny, you were talking and I was like, oh my God, your lawyers let you open a podcast or start a podcast? And I was like, oh, remember, she ran it herself. <laughs> because <laughs> lawyers and especially a lot of law firm leadership, they're really slow to catch on to trends and to do something new. So I was like, oh, you had a podcast already? Um, that was, yeah, that jumped out at me, but it was your yeah. own firm. In my own firm, of course. And that is the beauty of having your own firm. You get to do things like that. <laughs> yes, which is great when it's a successful decision, like starting a podcast. But to your point of being a bad business person, when there's no one else there and you're like, I think I won't market. Not a good decision. <laughs> Got to get money in the door somehow. You do. And I mean, referrals were always preached when you were in law school. Just get a referral. Just get a referral, um, which is important. But all of your referrals don't have to only come from clients and other lawyers. Right. They can come from people who, hey, I don't need a lawyer, but I just saw this lawyer's cover art and it was amazing. Right. And then it can spread that way. That's right. Yes. So I say that because I am looking at your cover art where you have all these chess pieces. It's oh, great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And that was my marketing person who came up with that. So. Yeah. No, I like it, especially it fits with the whole position to transition. So I love it. Um, so what do you hope to get out of your podcast besides marketing and greater exposure? What's the one thing you hope people are learning from it? I hope that they're learning that they have options, that there is no one way to exit there's as many lawyers as there are, there's that many ways to exit. And that there's two different ways to exit from, uh, <laughs> I say there's a million ways, but then I just say there's two ways. What I mean by that is we can exit our role within the law firm and still own the law firm, or we can just exit the law firm altogether. Um, so I want them to know that too. Um, and that sometimes we can do other things and still own our law firm. Like I have a billion different interests. Mm -hmm. uh, I write books. I write poetry. I, in fact, before I sold my law firm, one of the reasons that was so strong as far as me completing that sale was I bought a farm. I started farming um, and I have farm animals. And so we are not one dimensional. Uh, yeah. We are multidimensional with lots of interest. And so what I want people to get out of the podcast is number one, is that, you know, you have options, you have so many options. And number two is that there are things that you can and should do to position yourself to sell that you can't just wake up one morning and say, I don't want to do this anymore and think that people are going to be knocking on your doors. Um, it takes time and you've got to, that's why I named it that way. You've got to position yourself to sell um, because it's a process. It's not a decision. It's not an event. It's a process. Okay. So two questions. <laughs> First one is, do you have to hate being a lawyer to sell your law firm? 
No, I still love being a lawyer. I okay. love being a lawyer. And in fact, I'm under contract to buy a law firm right now for myself. What? Um, okay. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I want to step in and be the lawyer, yeah, yeah, although yeah. I can and will um, when I need to. But um, but I like being a business owner. And that's the mm-hmm. other thing is you get to decide, you know, um, what involvement you want and what involvement you don't want. But I absolutely love being a lawyer. Okay. That's phenomenal. And then my last question here, and I ask it to all the lawyers is what advice do you have for new lawyers? So five years practicing or less and law students about what they can do with their law degree. Yes. I would say that first and foremost, I'm a big believer in niching, uh, finding a area of law that you enjoy or you think you'll enjoy because it sure does not feel good to show up every day if you don't enjoy what you're doing. So don't chase the money, although the money should still come, uh, but find out what you enjoy and do that. The And I know that sounds so cliche, but what I'll tack on to that is I had an associate that started with me one time and he said, look, Victoria, you're already expert. We're already niched. Well, I found a niche within my niche. My niche was elder law. I then became the expert on veterans benefits within elder law. He's like, you're already doing things. And I said, look, you can become the expert on electronic files and Bitcoin on estate planning within elder law. There's always something you can niche down into. Find that, you know, find that for yourself. Um, and so I would say that for people who are five years, you know, or under the other is, and also get a mentor, um, as far as law students go, I would say, don't let anyone else pigeonhole you into what you should do or shouldn't do because you have a law degree. This is your life and career, and there is no one set thing and we can change our mind. You know, I mean, if you choose one thing. You can change your mind later. And that is the beauty of having a law degree is that so many people respect the JD at the end of your name because of all that you've gone through to get it, that you can do a lot of things inside the law, outside the law, and those that kind of hang on the edges of the law. Yeah. Doing one thing doesn't eliminate everything else. It just means you're doing one thing right now. That's right. That's right. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, Victoria, thank you for joining the You Are Lawyer podcast. So if you want more lawyer interviews, feel free to subscribe to the You Are Lawyer podcast. Thank you.